Tamron lenses deliver a superb fusion of performance and value, letting your camera perform at its peak. They are designed for remarkable optical performance despite their lightweight and compact designs. Tamron lenses, the best lenses make the best photos. Visit tamron-americas.com to learn more. That's tamron-americas.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. What does filmed for IMAX mean? It isn't just a movie that'll look great on IMAX's screens. It means that hiding from a sandstorm feels like fear in every flicker. And every triumph is felt in every sound wave. And the things we've only imagined, you can truly experience those too. That's what filmed for IMAX means. Get tickets to experience Dune Part 2 now and IMAX's exclusive expanded aspect ratio. Welcome to a very special episode of the No Film School podcast. I'm your host, Jason Hellerman. And this week, Charles is off shooting, Gigi's off editing. So we've got a Jason Hellerman run episode. And rather than sitting here and talking to myself the whole time or going on an extended monologue, I'm having back a very popular guest, Evan Littman, who's a consultant for Get Made. Some of you have visited his website. He's also written articles on No Film School. And today we're going to cover the topic of artificial intelligence in Hollywood. No, is it coming for our jobs tomorrow? Where is it starting? Where is it going? Can we predict anything? Is it any good? Evan, welcome to the No Film School podcast again. Thank you. It's great to be back. Yeah. Now, you know, the last time we talked on the podcast, we basically got your view on international distribution and scripts and and different things. And, you know, now I'm having you come back because I think there's a lot of crossover uh, from you and I, uh, our real-world conversations to what's been happening in, in Hollywood. Last week on No Film School, we covered the Sora app, which is OpenAI's text-to-video app. Basically, it's not available to the public yet, but the demos they released have uh, word prompts, and those prompts then get regurgitated from an AI into video. The more specific the prompt, the more specific the video. And it was something that I think caught everyone in Hollywood off guard. It was something we didn't know was coming. And you know, in the Twitter thread that we talked about, there were, let's say, around a dozen videos, you know, of varying quality that showed the power of what this is. And it was a ripple effect that ran through the town. You know, Variety covered it. Everyone talked about it. Uh, a couple of days ago, Tyler Perry in a press conference said he's halted production on uh, building a VFX studio uh, at his massive uh, compound in Atlanta. And instead is like, oh, I'm just going to get behind this sore AI thing, which you know, people laughed at and it's like, you know, Tyler Perry presents artificial intelligence, whatever it is, you know, like, are we going to get Medea prompts? Uh, all of the jokes are there, but it was a very real concern, right? Building a studio would have probably provided thousands of jobs in the area, you know, also could have bolstered local jobs and you know, gotten people work and all the lovely things. So, you know, is that a ripple effect? So, you know, Evan, let's talk a little about AI in Hollywood. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's coming. Yeah, yeah. So just diving in, you know, 
What were your immediate reactions to seeing that Sora thread? And also, you know, like, do you sense any AI bleeding into, you know, your line of work in this industry? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the first thing was that like Sora, like this is something that I think a lot of people kind of thought was coming, but it arrived faster and frankly at like higher, I guess we can call it quality than anybody really anticipated. And so, I, you know, when I saw it, I was like, oh, wow, this is, you know, it's, it's not perfect. I, some of the stuff was like, oh, this cat has like five legs and like these people's like limbs don't align when they're like doing this. But uh, it, it, it was, you know, it was something that you could easily mistake for like a high end production in terms of like the, the digital and visual quality, right? There's not much storytelling involved with it. And so it, it remains to be seen how how effective it is at that over like maybe like producing like two hours of a video. But ultimately, it is a big deal. I think Tyler Perry is right to look at it and be concerned about it. I think that was the crux of his thing. He was like, yeah, this is kind of a big deal. I can't make, you know, I can't build an $800 million studio when this technology is out there and might render it obsolete. So maybe yeah. we should all kind of like get on you know, get get on a, a call and talk about what to do about this. I think he was like concerned about it, rightfully. Absolutely, so, yeah. I think the, the concerns in a rightful place. You know, not is it just jobs, it's spending money and whatever. You know, I think you brought up a good point. We talked a little bit about, about it last week on the podcast. The fact that there's no real narrative in the videos they sent out to me feels like the power is still in the creator's uh, mind, and I guess at, at their fingertips using these sorts of products. Uh, you know, we have no sense in how you can input or what the prompts are going to feel like and you know how that renders. I do think just in the way screenplays are written and the way we've been able to see computers analyze screenplays and you know things like Final Draft doing character breakdowns or scene breakdowns, stuff like that, that we probably are not that far off from one of these open AI companies being like, oh, you can input your screen right in screenplay format you know, and we'll be able to spit it out, right? Like teaching computer how to read into your exterior time of day and location. Imagine location is not crazy, especially if there's like a way you can make those locations consistent across the script. Like it doesn't feel like we're that far away from it. And that's where I start to get worried just in the leaps and bounds we've seen, right? This is not the first version of AI that's come out. But, you know, this time last year, we were talking about text to image, right? And and you and I have friends, you know, that use that text image a lot for like lookbooks or different things that the industry is you know, requiring of filmmakers today. And then for the uninitiated, when you're pitching on a commercial, a lot of times directors have to build this lookbook that is basically their vision for the project. And that can be a lot of pressure, right? Not everybody's a whiz at Photoshop or putting things together. So being able to type into a text prompter, hey, I want to see a pirate drinking coffee on the high seas and enjoying it surrounded by seals is something it could spit out easily that maybe you couldn't do yourself and also a time saver they're also incredibly expensive to create. So like the front end cost on people who are basically doing speculative work, this is, you know, made it easier. For writers like me, a lot of times places are asking for lookbooks for your TV show. And I always think that's unfair because what I'm the best at is writing. I'm not the best at Photoshop or doing these other things. So like those are programs that theoretically would have made it easier for me. I just kind of refuse to do those things for better or worse for my career. But, you know, outside of that, now seeing it in video, I do wonder like, is this, our company is going to be like, great, let me see a previs version of what you want to do. You know, like what where are we taking this? Are we, you know, how how many steps are we in? And and it is that concerning. 
Yeah, I mean, look, in the independent film space at markets when companies are selling or pre-selling projects, you know, there's always a lookbook or a sizzle reel or director's vision, mood board, right? All these all these things that are that are some attempt to convey what the movie will end up being when all you have is is a script in front of you. You know, full disclosure, I don't care about any of those things because the script is is what the movie will be and like a supercut of trailers or moments from other probably better movies doesn't do it for me. Uh, yeah, like uh, wow, this movie with like in sword and sandals, I hope is as good as I don't know Conan and uh, Gladiator. But if it looks exactly like those movies, I will be surprised and probably a little bit disappointed. Um, because I don't think we go to the movies to see something exactly like what we've seen before. Which and that's kind of the the issue that I that I see a lot of with with AI because AI is not. It's not really making anything. It's just recombining and generating an output based on what it already has. Right. And right. so, like, by definition, I mean, also, like, by legal definition, according to the US Copyright Office, like, what it makes cannot be original. And so, when I, when I look at AI, I'm like, okay, it can do all these things, but like, but is it good? And that, right. that's, <laughs> it's so funny that that's a question that, like, some people ask. But the people that need to ask it don't ever really seem to ask that question, do they? Yeah, right? I mean, I like, think, look, the reason is probably taste is at an all-time low. And, you know, we, the, at the intersection of business and commerce, business is what's coming first. So I think so few places care about if it's good and most of them care about if it saves or makes money, right? And the, there's a the conjunction there. But, but you are right. Like, if it's uncopyrightable and it's just stealing our ideas, how long is it before Pixar sues them for someone writing a prompt, it's like write a Pixar-ish version of Inside Out, but about dogs, you know, like, yeah, you know, or, yeah. or, or animate that, right? Like, where's the, where does the copyright infringement come or, or how close to that, you know, do we get before someone can say like, hey, you've stolen from me? Well, there's a, so there's a couple things that I want to talk about with what you just said. First of all, like, I think, I forget if it was MidJourney or a different image generation service, but you would, you know, you could type in like, purple evil villain, you know, with five rings threatening to destroy the universe, right? And it would spit out like Thanos. And obviously like, and, and not only would it spit that out, but the image that it would generate was, was extremely similar to what people might describe as striking similarity to a, a frame from an Avengers movie. Obviously that's copyright infringement. And, and so but once mid January became aware of that, I think they, they changed the parameters so that would no longer be what was generated. Like, obviously, you know, I hate to say like, well, man, the, the big movie studios are kind of, kind of like what we maybe should be relying on, but they're the biggest like IP repositories in the world. And a lot of what the, the generative AI models like take in is their work, work that they own. So like, if anybody's going to be able to go against them, it's them. It's not going to be you and me. Right. And so not that, you know, the the average citizen should ever pin their hopes for, you know, national goodwill on a giant conglomerate like Disney. But like maybe just this once <laughs> it would be nice. So I think that that's, you know, that that if anybody's going to be able to push back on that, it's going to be like one of the studios. But I think also something that you said about, you know, 
the basically I think you alluded to like media literacy being like let's say relatively low, which is an opinion that I that I happen to hold. Like I think that people are not super media literate right now. And that's where AI really I think can kind of like slip in between the cracks and like and and can be really insidious because it's easy to like to shit on like David Zaslav for like cutting costs left and right and like basically burning down the the studio that he the storied studio that he took over but you know if ai at this point in time like can't really generate anything good what it makes is basically like regurgitated slop it's it's like it's genuinely like really bad and if studios crank that out and people still eat it up it's like yeah it's on them but like the audience has failed itself in that in that situation. That's, that's yeah, I think that's where we there. have the power, right? Like at the end of the day, yeah. you know, what we'd implore our listeners to is say, like, okay, like focus on paying for good things, right? If we like our taste is kind of what dictates these are our votes that so we're telling the studio what to do and what we're excited to watch and what we're doing. So you know, hopefully we're not regurgitating or eating eating regurgitated slop, as you said, but also, you know, the onus is on the studios to maybe sue these places in a submission or at least bring up the copyright thing. You know, like, how are we addressing these sorts of things? So like you said, these visualization, text text visualization programs are really just aggregating art that's already been made. And, you know, we have to really keep an eye on that. I, I would expect places like Disney, who's incredibly litigious, you know, like coming after different places and always looking to that to really dig in and figure that out. And, you know, we're going to have a lot of landmark cases in the next decade, I'd say, over studios and, and hopefully individual artists saying like, you know, what is a copyrightable idea? Is the way I draw an eyeball? You know, is, is this, uh, you know, like how stunningly similar can something be, but still be quote unquote original if it's made by a computer? One thing you brought up that maybe we'll come back to right now is the idea that what the U.S. Copyright Office has said these digital AI things are not copyrighted. So like, how would, let's say, uh, Warner Brothers, as an example, if they're going to make an AI-driven movie or use these to make AI stuff, how do you then achieve something that couldn't be spliced by someone else or, or that is copyrighted? Like, where's the human element you think they could bring in to protect copyright, copyright issues for things like this? Yeah, so this is, this is one of the things that is, that is complicated. I mean, movies, making a movie is already like extremely complicated because there are so many artists involved and everything created by any one of those artists is copyrightable. It's act, like it's copyrighted the instant they create it. And then, of course, like you register it with the Copyright Office. But the U.S. Copyright Office has, has said that AI-generated works are not original and therefore are not copyrightable, right? And so when you say not copyrightable, it means in the public domain, so anybody can use it. But there are plenty of things that are in the public domain that then become something that, let's say, a copyrighted work is based on, right? Like, there was, like, for example, like, what was it, Violent Night, right? Like, Santa Claus is in the public domain. You could make a Santa Claus movie tomorrow, but you can't make one that's exactly like Violent Night, right? Because the copyrightable elements in that movie turned it into something that is its own, right? It, it made it original. And so that's kind of how, how to think about, I think, what AI could be used for, which is, and I think 
this was kind of a concern during the, the WGA negotiations, although I'm obviously I'm not in the room for that, so I don't know. But basically, AI makes something that's not copyrightable. But if you do something, if you, for example, if you're a studio and you hire a writer to rewrite an AI-generated screenplay, what is rewritten is copyrightable. It's what's called a derivative work. So the underlying work, which is AI, is not copyrightable. But your script that you wrote based on it or what you rewrote it to turn into is copyrightable. And, you know, and I think the WJ was, was concerned. I mean, you can correct me on this if I'm wrong. That basically original screenplays pay more than adapted screenplays. And so studios would be like, Hey, so listen, we have this, you know, 20 page treatment that, you know, that would, that an AI shout out, can you turn, can you spin it into gold? And, you know, they would pay you half of your quote because it's quote unquote adapted. Get ready to elevate your photography game with the Tamron 28 to 75 millimeter F2.8 DI3 VXD G2 designed for Sony mirrorless cameras. This cutting edge lens brings you unparalleled resolution and exceptional overall performance in a sleek, lightweight design. Experience the magic of soft, stunning bokeh effect with its nine-blade circular aperture design. Featuring Tamron's advanced VXD autofocus motor, the Tamron 28-75mm G2 ensures lightning-fast, precise autofocus, capturing every moment with unparalleled speed and accuracy. Creatively capture close-up wonders with its impressive maximum magnification ratio of 1 to 2.7 at 28 millimeters. But that's not all. Introducing the revolutionary Tamron Lens Utility, an innovative feature that makes customization and firmware updates a breeze. Simply connect the lens to your computer or your Android smartphone through the weather-sealed connector port and unleash a world of possibilities. The Tamron 28 to 75 millimeter G2 will redefine your photographic experience. Gear up with Tamron and capture the extraordinary today. Learn more at tamron-americas.com. That's tamron-americas.com. Tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift Vieira's Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight only on Disney Plus. Yeah, and now, yeah, right. So we have those are protected now under the the new uh, bargaining agreement. It's one of the reasons we struck, one of the reasons we struck so long, making sure to protect that because obviously it's it's money in our pockets and things like that. You bring up a good point. You know, we focus a lot on AI and visuals just because of Sora and and that and, and recently, but. You know, where, what this is rooted in is AI and aggregation, right? Like, I, I think the common thread on Twitter, something that I think is always funny is like, I thought AI was going to show up and like, be my personal assistant or do my calendar or do different things or, or you know, maybe we could get it to schedule tweets. And, and I think like, those are all things I, that I would hope like, gave me some more time during the day. Like, I'm waiting for AI to be able to do my laundry and then, you know, I'll sign up to be one of the Terminators. But, you know, what, what we're seeing is people developing it to do creative endeavors that I think are inherently human. One of those is an app we tested called Greenlight Coverage, which, which I had tested and wrote about on the No Film School website. You should check it out. But basically, the idea is it's, it's an app with an algorithm, an advanced language model that reads your screenplay and then 
gives you feedback, a score based one to 10 on a, a number of different elements and the way it is. And it's something I was happy to test mostly because I was morbidly curious and also want to know. It's something that they charge, I think around $50 a script. That number goes down the more you know you pay. And it's something that can feel instantaneous, right? Like the promise for that app is one to two hours back. But if you're paying for a premium, you get it in five minutes, right? Feedback, as we know, is hard. Evan, you know, you run Get Made Consulting, which provides feedback for paid feedback for scripts. It usually takes you a while, right, to get that done. So like, you know, yeah. how do you feel about AI coming into that space and saying like, well, we'll do it for a fraction of what it costs a human to read it and, you know, give you seven pages of notes afterwards? I mean, if AI was actually good at it, I I don't think that it's necessarily a bad thing for people to have more eyes on their scripts because more eyes and more feedback is is good. But I think the jury's still out on what AI can really do to help people because AI is like we kind of we kind of personify it, but it's not a person, right? And right. so like that means that means it cannot feel, right? And that means that not just emotion like the traditional spectrum of emotions that we consider like oh can it be sad. Can it be moved? Can it fall in love? Like no, no, and no. But but can it be? Can it be pleasantly surprised? No. Right. Yeah. And so like, and that's an experience that I always look for when I'm reading someone's script. I'm like, oh, did this person lay down enough track where I think we're going one way, and then they they manage to go the other way, but they do it in a way that is plausible and believable and enjoyable. You know, that's a skill in and of itself. I, I don't know if AI can recognize that. And that is kind of, you know, when, when I look for something like that, in whether it's someone asking me for feedback or whether it's a project that like, you know, I have a client looking to, to pick up a movie or, or two for, you know, in Berlin, the, the European film market. That's what basically makes movies successful like especially smaller movies because it's easy to be like hey avengers 9 is going to make a lot of money right you know but but there can only be so many avengers movies and what in the indie space movies that do the same thing that all the other movies have done are like pretty boring and not going to make that much money especially in theatrical what you're looking for in the indie space is breakout movie everybody's looking for a breakout movie but a breakout movie by definition, like not doing the same thing that every other movie is doing, right? So what we're really looking for is outliers, but outliers that are going to work. Yeah, I don't think that mathematical models are yet or maybe ever at the point where they can identify something that is simultaneously an outlier and will work. Those two things, I think, to generative AI. So I, I look at that and I go, okay, can an AI really give you feedback on your script that will that will make it something that will point you in the right direction for it to stand out rather than for it to blend in? Yeah, the answer is no, right? I think you know when I wrote that thing and you know and since talked to other people who've used it, nuance is the word, right? What's what we're looking for? Like, can this feel nuanced? I this past weekend went and saw the Ethan Ethan Cohen Tracy Cook movie Driveway Dolls, right? Driveway Dolls is insane. You know, it's like a lesbian romp across down I-95, you know, from Philadelphia to Tallahassee. And there's crazy dream sequences that are in it and hilarious celebrity cameos, things that would not, things that on the page, I don't think an algorithm would tell you would be uproarious audience moments or, you know, like would the computer think it's just stupid, right? These are, 
These are questions that you know I think run through. There's no nuance into the way the computer thinks. There's also no taste, right? As much as we've clowned on taste and media literacy being at an all-time low, like an algorithm is also not media literate. It doesn't understand callbacks or or different things. So you know that's the that that's kind of the rub in that section. You know the the thing I fear always is like okay, like this is we're talking in February of 2024 right now. What happens when this gets better? You know, like is it getting better? Uh, and I, I recently read a pretty fun quote. I think it was from Wired. I kind of just jotted down the gist, which is like that a lot of times emerging tech can take us 90% of the place we want to get to. And everyone's very scared or very excited about that 90%. But it's really the last 10% that it has trouble doing. And that last 10% is what maybe like makes the biggest difference, right? Like I, I was always skeptical of, you know, the checkout lines at Ralph's, you know, the automated checkout lines at Ralph's. But, uh, you know, or, or, or Ralph's our grocery store here in Los Angeles or Target or, or in these places. But, you know, what they found implementing those was like they started losing a ton of money with people just stealing or not scanning or just taking bags. You know, like it was it was a different thing. So like, how do you get to the extra 10%? They tried to put weights on these things like they, they've fallen apart. Now, I think SOAR is the same thing. Like, yeah, the first 90% that we've seen is scary, right? The first 90% I've seen with like the green light coverage idea. I do think is scary, right? Because we both can sense studios being like, oh, I pay someone 60 grand a year to read scripts. Why don't I just put that 60 grand into a computer program and only pay one person instead of paying 50 people 60 grand, you know, whatever that is. Uh, but that last 10% is really what would stop you, right? Because you might miss out on some of the best movies. Like, I can't imagine an algorithm reading and loving Moonlight, but that's, you know, one of the best movies we had in the past 25 years. But it's like, you know, what is that 10%? Now, look, how fast do you think we're going to make up that last 10%, right? Do you have any sense on at least like the way you feel the industry is going? Do they care? You know, where are we going? Like, is this a five-year problem? Is it a 25-year problem? What's your opinion? You know, it's kind of hard to say because on the one hand, like it, the tech is moving very fast. Like Sora came out, like, I think it was, it was only really a year ago, maybe that I think chat GPT like really burst onto the scene. Here we are in February and Sora is is out. But I think that the the last 10%, especially in a very non-quantifiable discipline like art, which which I just want to say like like it really sucks that like people are like, you know what we should use AI for is to like do art instead of instead of anything else it could be doing. Yeah, be doing the, so the ultimate human expression. Yeah, right. exactly. It's, Let's it's, use a computer to yeah. do the one thing Let's do humans this. do. Yeah. Yeah. So but but I think you know, so there's a there's a guy that I really like to read. His name is Corey Doctorow, uh, in shitification. He gotcha. in, and he also talks about AI. And one of the things that he says, I hope I'm not butchering this quote, is he says, AI is not yet good enough to do your job. And so it, so AI cannot take your job right now. But it is right. good enough to convince your boss to fire you and hire an AI that will fail at doing your job. And <laughs> That I think is really that's so true because that we are seeing a hundred percent now. You know yep. that are AI taking jobs? Well, I mean, kind of. Yeah, are AI successfully doing those jobs? Not, you know, not really. Like I hear about, I hear about people like they're like, you know what? Like I was gonna have like a lawyer look this over, but then Pat GPT just like generated this contract for me, and it was fine. And then like. A year later, they're like, "Yes." Yeah, so there was a dispute over that contract, and the lawyer that I had to hire to fix it 
and you're kind of screwed, man, because right. the AI failed at doing their job. So, you know, I think that that temporary immediate convenience might unfortunately convince people that the AI is more effective than it really is just because they can kick the can of consequences down the road. Yeah, I was talking to a few writers last week uh, just about AI, right? Are, are you using it? How are you using it? Would you use it? And I would say like the consensus of almost everyone I talked to was no, right? I'm not using it. <laughs> I, I have, you know, I'm not using it. I have no reason to use it. I'm not doing whatever. But I did talk to two people who, you know, for journalists and integrity and per the request will remain anonymous. And they said they use it to generate outlines or beat sheets. They're like, oh, if I have an idea, I have to pitch at a studio or do whatever. I get a rough beat sheet. I have AI do it. Then I go through and polish it. And then I'm usually ahead of the game and I have more time to put my personal spin on it, knowing that it can get me the generic beats out. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, so I ran a little experiment, did it myself, and I found it to be awful. I, you know, and I think like maybe that speaks to, to each his own and, and whatever. Like, I think, sure, there's some inherent bias when I had to do it. I was like, fuck this piece of shit. And, and that's how I felt at the end of it. You know, sorry if your kids are in the car. They should learn those languages. You know, maybe they should learn those words with AI coming in anyway. But, you know, aside from that, what I, what I found was that it just didn't make sense. Like, it, it, it cre- I had to basically do a heist movie and I found the beats to be nonsensical and, and not in like a goofy way, in a way of like, yeah, I guess like this is the, where the double cross would happen. I guess this is what it is. But, but there was no emotion behind it, right? It was, a, it was very cold, very calculated. And while I found those beats to be, let's say like you could call them strategically useful for you to come up with your own ideas, when I actually went through and, and again, like quickly jotted down like what my one page version of it would be, I wound up using none of them, right? So for me, it felt like a step that was added that, that was wasteful. Right. It's like, oh, if I had just sat down and said, like, I need to write an ensemble heist movie. I mean, I made a whole goofy thing that like takes place on an ocean liner that sunk under the sea. You know what I mean? Like blah, 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 blah. That's a very, you know, it, it was fun watching a computer come up with. It was cool seeing the character archetypes it just pulled out. But at the end of the day, you know, nothing that it put together, in my opinion, I found to be useful and, and whatever. But when I talked to these other guys, right, sort of said, like, hey, what do you find useful about it? For them, it was just like, it's not necessarily like the busy work, but it's the idea that it can just spark anything. It's like, it's a free spark, right? They're like, if I had my assistant go do some of this work and do this research, it would take them a day. This is it spitting out, whatever. My assistant could do more important things. I thought it was like a nice, it's a nice sentiment. Is it something I agree with? Not really. You know, I still want the human touch. I want a human being telling me what's some interesting facts. You know, I don't necessarily want a computer telling me what they think is interesting. Even with the idea that, like with ChatGPT, it's just aggregating what a human typed and said was interesting somewhere else anyway. But but it is fascinating, and I don't know. Like, obviously, you know, you are in law school, right? You're running, get made. You're doing different things. Like, are there ways you can anticipate using any of this AI just in your sort of Hollywood adjacent life? You know, or are you already doing that at all? Not until it gets better. To be honest with you, right. like I'd rather yeah. I'd rather do legal research like longhand, right? Because I mean, there were there were some there's a, a couple of cases recently where the lawyer was using ChatGPT to like look up cases to cite in a, in a brief yeah. to a judge, and the and ChatGPT invented those cases because the judge's clerk tried to look up the cases to see the precedent right. they were citing, and they were like, "Yeah, this case doesn't exist." The judge was like, "All right, <laughs> counsel, what?" <laughs> 
it, what are you doing here, man? You've been practicing for 25 years. You don't get to like invent cases in my courtroom. Dude was like sanctioned and it wasn't great. Uh, anybody interested in that story? I think look up, uh, Varghese versus South China Airlines a case that doesn't exist, but we kind of, we, we mean about that in school. Yeah. It's I, I so I can't really see myself using that. The, the thing that I would use it for is like, is, is not art. Like I think that AI does have potential to be like a, a more effective version of Siri. Right. Yeah, like, absolutely. You know, yeah. assistant, like schedule me for this or like, you know, assistant draft an apologetic, but firm apology, you know, like a demand letter to this, this client's agent saying, Hey, sorry, man, we're going in a different direction. Something like that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily call that creative. And it, that is, that's something that I think that AI maybe when it gets a little bit better, like could actually do, but like, draw something that will, you know, express a core human emotion. No. And plus like, you know, the, the, like you mentioned earlier, there are cases that are winding their way through the legal system. So a lot of it is still up in the air, but major questions of like fair use and, you know, and, and, and how much copyrightable material is okay to, to use. And is it provable and all this kind of stuff? Those, you know, those questions are, those are like really important, like for every industry that relies on anything creative and yes. kind of like we mentioned, you know, movies and, and America really like our movies are like one of our biggest exports. Like there's that in guns, but like movies definitely, <laughs> right? Like everybody, everybody in the world knows our movies. That is, that is American culture, right? Everybody's watching. Yeah. Like little kids all over the world maybe not little kids college students have like scarface posters right stereotypes yeah fight club all of, yeah, the, yeah i think that the influence on pop culture we'll have an article on no film school this week just about movie scenes that influence pop culture and especially now with tiktok and memes right it's like who's doing what dances like the high barbie thing became such a huge thing on tiktok it's like funneling in it's it's hard to honestly hard to describe how big the influence is because it's massive it might be Movies might be the most influential, you know, as of right now, export America has. Yeah. Sure. And so it, if you if you destroy that in the name of expediency, you know, you are you are you're first of all, you're like obviously destroying like a part of American culture. But you're also like kind of cutting a certain aspect of American like international power. Like it's like soft cultural power cutting that yeah. off the knees. I think that's something that people don't necessarily appreciate. And I will also say that like artists especially are like recognized. I don't know how much the studios recognize that, that like studios. And when I say studios, obviously like big movie studios, but any company that makes anything that like heavily relies on art, right. You like, feel like board games, card games, like yep. anything like yeah. that. Right. The primary thing that those things that those companies sell is art. That is yes. what they're selling. And that is what, because art is what sparks the imagination for people. So like, even like, you know, the phrase don't judge a book by its cover probably came about because there were some really baller covers of people like, I'm going to buy. Yeah, I mean, books, think about right? when you're buying a bottle of wine, right? It's I, I mean, I know nothing about wine. I'm there. I'm like, oh, this is one of the coolest labels. I'm bringing exactly. this. This will be the bottle I get. It's that. And the, the price tag of nine ninety nine. You know, those right. are the two, those are the two biggest trials for me. Right. So if, if these, when these companies actually realize, Hey, what we're really selling is art, maybe they will be a bit more aggressive about protecting it because until then 
it's kind of incumbent on artists. And that really sucks, like taking what is a systemic problem and putting the burden yeah. of solving it on the individual. So there are tools that artists uh, have started to use. There was one uh, called Glaze and there's another one called Nightshade. This is for like visual artists. People, right. So people can kind of look that up. And there was a there's an artist that I follow that actually testified before Congress. Her name is Carla Ortiz super talented and really knowledgeable. And I, I would recommend that like people follow her on Twitter to kind of like learn more about like the artist's perspective on it. She was involved in developing those tools as well. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. That's awesome. We'll round out the conversation today about something that is, has never been more important uh, maybe in the history of, of this, and, and it's, it's your voice, right? What's your voice on the page? What's your voice as a director? You know, what's your voice as an artist? I think because we're getting into an era where you know, regurgitated slop, you know, hashtag, maybe the quote of the episode, you know, <laughs> so if we're in the regurgitated slop era, what is independent to you is your voice, right? It's, it's always mattered in screenwriting. We have, you know, plenty of articles on screenwriting voice on no film school. And, uh, you know, I think I've belabored the point, but, but for those who maybe are, haven't heard it before, it's, it's the way you sound on the page, right? No two writers look exactly the same on the page, uh, especially in features and TV, obviously, uh, a lot of times you're trying to mimic how the showrunner writes, blah, blah, blah. But, but in terms of feature films, you know, when you sit down to write a script, how are you describing things? What's the way you take people in? They take people in? Like, are there certain lines of phrase you like to use? Is there a playful tone? You know, famously, Shane Black will address the reader, break the fourth wall, kind of, you know, go and talk to you. There's uh, lots of other different, you know, voice examples of people on the page. But, you know, in directing, we'll call it auteur theory, right? Can you turn on a frame of a movie and know who directed it just from that single frame? Like, does this feel Hitchcockian, right? Is this Spielbergian? Mm-hmm. You know? Is it Kubrickian, right? These right. are the IAN, you know, additions we have. And, and, you know, my worry has always been with the rise of AI that Hollywood has begun neutering voice, right? I want it to look this way. Well, maybe that's not the way I do it. You know, Denis Villeneuve is going to shoot a movie completely different than Danny Boyle, but it doesn't mean one's better or not. What, what, what you should judge is, you know, solely what gets put on the screen. Ava DuVernay has a distinct directing style and it's going to be different than a J.J. Abrams, right? Or, or a Stanley Kubrick, right? They're all going to be different, but they're all their individual voices the way I see things. You know, I think I'm always excited to see a Spike Lee movie because I know it will be unlike any other movie that comes out that year, whether I love it or hate it. It, there will be nothing I watch. It is always singular, you know? So I do think, you know, where is voice going? Evan, you read a lot of screenplays, you know, both amateurs and professional screen, screenplays. You, you watch a lot of movies. Like, how, have you seen voice change at all in this industry? And, you know, like, do you think AI is going to affect voice moving forward? Uh, yeah, so to, to me, AI, that's kind of the one thing that AI like has not even come close to to doing right like whenever whenever you see like chat GPT write something it's the voice that I hear in my head is is some version of you know how you want to talk about Kubrickian yeah. right 
It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's always this, like this extremely bland, like corporatized, you know, I, I you know, I, I hear it like, and like, I'm afraid I can't do that. Right. Like that yeah. type of thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, in, okay. In interior spaceship yeah. <laughs> time exactly. undeterminate. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm like, I'm like, all right, like you, you know, that chat GPT wrote something because it's so bland and, and also kind of vague. And, you know, the, the something that is specific yet universal, not the point, not a, a term that yeah. I coined is like, that's what people are always looking for, including myself in screenplays. And so when I, when I like see AI reader or when I see AI write something, when I read something that AI has quote unquote created, I'm like, okay, like, but what is exciting about this? Right. It's the same kind of thing that I mentioned where it's like, what's, what's new and exciting about this? Where is the outlier? Where's the breakout? Where's the, the, the voice is what makes it like unique to someone and, and unlike anything that you've seen before. And that's why people would be excited, you know, to, to experience it. So as far as like voice from human writers, that's, that's probably the biggest challenge that they have. I think that you know, it might, maybe it's like school, like when people learn to write in school, if your yeah. voice kind of gets beaten out of you and it's, it's, and it's kind of sad because when you talk, you have voice, everybody talks in a way that is unique to them, but somehow that never right. translates to the page where people like people don't necessarily write the way they talk. It doesn't have to be a one for one, but like, if I can hear you talk on the phone and I know that it's you, not just from like the tone and timbre of your voice, but like the way that you actually put your words together and choose to express yourself. If that is not also the sensibility on the page, I'm always like, why? Right. There's so, yeah. so there's some kind of like barrier there. I don't, again, I don't necessarily know why, but developing a voice is like so important. It's, it's, it's not just your character's dialogue. You know, it's also the way that you construct scenes and even the way that you write your prose, although the prose itself is like not on the screen, but it's the part of the reading experience. And absolutely. And so, you know, some executives assistant might want to have a more enjoyable reading experience because they're on their 17th script of the day and the first 16 were terrible. Yeah, I, I think it, it's impossible to understate how much voice matters. I just remember being an assistant on read, doing the Sunday reads and getting to a script that like actually felt like it had some zhuzh in it. And I was like, yeah, this is it. Like this person is talking to me. You know, it, it doesn't matter that it sounds like me or what. Like, I mean, talking directly to me, not necessarily breaking the fourth wall, but just like has, you know, that electricity behind it. You feel like, oh, took care, has a point of view, is highlighting what they want you to feel and think, the themes, the motifs, it's all coming through. And it's something that I found AI to be completely awful at. You know, you can say like, hey, write a scene in Quentin Tarantino's voice. And what it tries to do is just do like the mimic the Pulp Fiction Diner scene. And it... (laughs) Yep. Yeah, it's... It cracks me up. Gen, you know, generally cracks me up. Um, one of the earliest reasons people got uh, aware of OpenAI and, and uh, text-to-video was basically those sort of meme-ish videos of Wes Anderson style. Wes Anderson does Lord of the Rings. Wes Anderson does Harry Potter. And what all of them missed was like the soul that Wes Anderson puts in these things, right? Like they were just like cartoony images, but they didn't have, like, if you've watched... Grand Budapest Hotel or Asteroid City last year, like regardless of how you feel about these movies, there's like an absolute heart and warmth in the way he shoots that the computer completely neutered out because all it decided to do was like, let's try a pastel color and something quirky, but it never really figured out like the, 
And maybe some of it's Uncanny Valley, but it never figured out the soul behind it. And I found them to be like, kind of, I was like, oh, these would be failures made by a computer, but they're resounding artistic successes because they're, they have so much human input because he is, you know, an auteur director closely detailing every frame. So yeah, your voice has never been more important. Yeah. And I, I wish that there was more emphasis on voice, although it's again, like, like what is voice, right? It's kind of like ephemeral and hard to like pin down, but that's what makes people, I mean, that's, that's why you're getting hired, right? You don't get hired because your script has no typos. So like, man, this guy, the spelling, get this guy in the room that doesn't happen. Yeah. Right. It's like, wow, nobody can write. Like when you watch a Sorkin movie, you know, right. Yeah. So, and, and the other thing is kind of like you mentioned, like because voice is specific to you and, and key and, you know, emphasis on the word specific, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be for everybody. So like, not like when Diablo Cody burst on the scene, right. She's a very voicey writer. Absolutely. And, but there were people who were like, you know, I don't really like Juno. Like, dude, that's right. okay. It still made a ton of money. So enough people yeah. liked it, right? Enough people loved it. But not, it doesn't have to be for everybody. And this is something that I think writers, especially newer writers, kind of like need to understand about breaking into the industry. It If everybody has your script at like an 8 out of 10, I, I honestly don't think that's good enough. First of all, because the standard it, it keeps going up but also because it's way better to have one person think your script is a 10 out of 10 because they yeah. will actually champion it because if, if everybody has your script as an 8 out of 10 there's a lot of like nines and tens out there and your script is never going to be in first place and sometimes an exec can only champion one project so if it's never yours it doesn't yeah. matter yeah that's a great point i i do think it's like you're Writing for the mass audience is whatever. I, I do truly believe in like writing the movie you would see because guess what you want to do is find people that also agree that they would want to see that movie. You know, like because mm-hmm. that's who's going to make it. It's not oh I wrote the most homogenous thing possible. Fine, you know, like there and there's certainly room for that. But like the room is closing in on you if you're doing it that way. You should absolutely find that sort of singular idea and go for it because that's also where you're going to develop your voice. Because if you're not putting enough of yourself into it, you're not going to get it. And right now, um, as AI gets better and better, what you have individually over it is always going to be your taste, your passion, uh, you know, and your instincts. And, and that's going to go much further. And I, I do think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you just really need one yes to get a movie made. And it doesn't matter if you have a hundred, I like it. You really need one, I love it. And it's right. much harder to get that writing for the masses than it is writing specific. Right. That's such, that's the stereotypical executive response to a script is like, liked it, didn't love it. Right. And that's yep. so yeah. that's that's such the, the kiss of death in Hollywood. I think, um, you know, the, when you're writing a script for people and if you're trying to do like what you think the market wants or even what the market will want, you know, I people don't know. Like, I think Steve Jobs said that he was like, people yeah. don't know what they want. You don't give yeah. them what they want. Yeah, Steve Ballmer being like, I don't think the iPhone's going to sell. It's too expensive. It's whatever. People wanted that thing. <laughs> they bought it. They did whatever. You know, I, I think screenplays are the same. People aren't sure. Well, look, this was like a great conversation. I think AI is so expansive. You know, I thank you for coming on and taking it, you know, from voice to here. You know, where can people find you on the internet? My website is madeconsulting.com. I'm also on Twitter and mostly lurking, but occasionally, you know, posting and i'm also reading and and looking at 
the state of the industry, which is by all accounts kind of scary right now. I think anyone in a creative <laughs> discipline or, or even in the executive ranks can probably attest to that. Uh, yeah, we're in the Wild West, and I don't just mean Kevin Costner's Horizon, which had an amazing trailer that debuted today. It is everything feels new and dangerous, and like you should have a six shooter on your on your side to fire at a robot at any moment. Maybe that's like Westworldy. Yeah, but yeah. And when you get shot, Clint Eastwood says deserves got nothing to do with it. Yeah, <laughs> you can find me at Jason Hellerman on Twitter, Jason at NoFilmSchool.com. And real quickly before we go, Gigi is putting together a series of videos about how she made her movie. Uh, you can learn about how to make your movie, which is exciting to me and I think it'll be really fun. Basically, she wants to know what's going to be helpful for you. What do you want to happen in Gigi's behind the scenes make your first movie advice videos? So the way to do that is to go to ggihawkins.com backslash survey. That's ggihawkins.com backslash survey. You'll fill out that survey and then she's going to tailor videos for our audience which I think is going to be really fun and, and a, there's going to be a lot to learn. So I'm excited for you all to do that. I cannot wait to see Gigi's movie. I've already seen a rough cut. I think you're all going to love it. I'm excited to do that. Thank you again, Evan, for joining us. And till next time, this is uh, the No Film School podcast. Thanks for having me.